morning. It's been a while since I've been here, eh, in this position. But I want to thank everyone who shared uh, with us, preached uh, during our Advent season, and to be, and I'm grateful to, uh, to our, our uh, church council who um, I can talk with openly and honestly and who told me that I needed to sit down uh, through December and allow grief to, to do what it does, you know? So I'm back. I told Brianna, I said, y'all pray for me because I need to preach one sermon. I got like 15 in my head <laughs> that are fighting, fighting to get out. So we're going to try to stay focused. And uh, I want to set um, the course for our next uh, eight or nine months uh, with kind of an overall theme. And then um, just talk about um, our theme for this year. Um, so, again, I've spent a lot of time. Well, let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us and meeting each and every one of us where we've been in this Advent season, Lord. We thank you that the deepest meaning is our salvation, and that meaning we are not alone in life. Thank you for that. Thank you for newness, new hope, new year, new, new opportunity, Lord. We just thank you for that and ask you to direct and guide us as we walk individually and as we walk together uh, in this next year, 2020. May you be praised as the time that just keeps it going. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, again, um, so I've been thinking and praying um, about where our church community um, is. You, I've sat with many of you all in my first four months at the church and got a chance to listen to you, your families, talk about what your concerns are um, for the church, what your joys are, um, the things you like about Jesus, the things you like about church, things you don't like about church. Um, and they've been informative conversations to me. A core element that has risen out of those conversations is the need for us to connect or reconnect to one another. Um, and so we will be looking at that, ways to do that and to, to grow our relationships. We need to raise up our intentionality a few degrees to help one another feel like we belong, that this is home, you know, for each and every one of us. I'm also hearing a lot and been praying a lot about the things that I've been witnessing on the news. Uh, you know, it's the new year, so once it feels like, no slight, but once again we have some racial issues that came out of the Mummers Parade. Uh, the turn of the new year and there were three killings already after we had 356 last year. Um, conversations about gentrification happening, which are good, good conversations, good conversations. Opening of new businesses and things in the area and thinking about how we support them. Nationally, I've been thinking about uh, how politics continues to fuel hatred. The impeachment is on my mind. Discrimination and hostility toward trans transgendered, our transgendered brothers and sisters. Um, violent and fatal attacks and worship celebrations and centers. This stuff is just, you know, it, it's just, I don't know, is it going through your mind? Y'all, y'all thinking about it? 
and then how the uh, United Methodist Church is splitting over, you know, people say it's over same-sex marriage and clergy who are gay. I say it's, because it, when you say that, it, it implies if those people weren't around, we'd be okay. And you know, we always got stuff, right? Yeah. Always got sp stuff. And I think it's, it, it, we split because of our inability to do that which gives life, not only to ourselves, but to others. Um, and it, it, and it ends this way. So we, we need to pray about our resiliency and our commitment to one another. Um, I'm praying about the coming election. I think about this stuff in, in light of who we are as a church because one of the things that we always said, or that I've heard in these since July, probably since April, is that this was a different kind of church, right? Um, we especially want to give a different example, a different witness to our neighbors than what's been said about other churches during this time. Um, we sit in this neighborhood, a church that's 60% white, 30% people, 40%, that's the right number, people of color. And, uh, but we're in a community that's 83% people of color and 17% majority. Um, and so we need to think about what that means and how we relate to the community that's, that we are a part of and how we develop deeper connections. We want to incarnate Christ, make him real to each other and to the world. So I've been thinking and praying, they both go together for me, uh, about my role and what's required of me along with all the other aspects of being a pastor. Uh, I want to participate fully in the community that's in West Philly to give credibility so I can speak prophetically into some of those issues I mentioned and even more. And I recognize that this isn't just my job alone as a pastor, but it's your job as well to speak prophetically to our community, to those we love and to those we have credibility with. We have to speak into their lives. So I don't want us to let the word prophetic to that to, to throw us off any. Scripture instructs us to pursue love and speak prophetically in 1 Corinthians 14.1. Pursue love and pursue earnestly the desire for spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. For prophecy is spoken, prophecy is something that's spoken. Thus, since it's spoken, you speak prophetically. Nice and simple. There are those who believe that the gift of prophecy ended with the canonizing of the Bible. So that was done. There are those who believe that the Spirit gives you words, um, that, you, that you speak to individuals and groups that align with Scripture, that are led by the Holy Spirit. And then there's still others who think this act of preaching is prophesying. I fall in somewhere in there. And, uh, but here's the definition that I go with. A Spirit-inspired word that wisely interprets and brings together Scripture circumstances, and the need of people, and then directly applies the gospel truth in order to build faith, to raise hope, and to arouse love. This is, pro this is speaking prophetically. And so sometimes we get freaked out because we, you know, um, people have a word I heard from God, and they, you know, I always, you know, I joked about the thus saith the Lord, thy God, you know, folk, you know, like the Lord can't speak 20th century or 21st century English. But we have to speak the truth that we know because nothing changes unless we open our mouths, right? 
and not only open our mouths, but open our lifestyles, our lives speak as well. Um, we're living in times that require us to speak to power. We're living uh, in a time that we need words that help convict us about the wrongdoing that separates us from each other. We need words that bring comfort and give direction. We need to speak words that act in ways that heal and bring people together. And that is what I call multiculturalism. Multiculturalism is more than having a diverse group of people sitting in a room. We can go to the grocery store and find this, y'all. There's something that's supposed to make this special. It's a determination to be inclusive, to understand the world from the perspective of others, to have respect for the uniquenesses and the experience of varied peoples. You know what? I missed a whole section. Maybe God is telling me something. I'm going to work it back in. Watch me. <laughs> Multiculturalism. <laughs> Uniqueness, um, what is it? They have respect for the uniqueness of, of uniquenesses and experiences of varied people groups and to demonstrate intentionality regarding equality in the distribution of power. So ultimately, we want to speak prophetically to bring hope in times of uncertainty. Amen? We want to inspire innovation in the ways we faith, we live, we love. So. And, and, and that requires us to address issues that are going on internationally. Uh, the continuing rise of hate around the globe, this issue of assassination that just happened, sending more troops overseas with heightened dangers for Americans all over the globe, the fires, that's what I really wanted to get to, the fires that are going on in Australia that were so thick that people in New Zealand had orange skies. And that's, that's crazy, right? We've got to deal and face this stuff. And then there's this thing that's starting to happen. There's this thing that is a movement now away from the coastal cities, moving deeper inland. You see, and what was happening before is that people moved to the coastal areas where nobody wanted to live, and they moved the people who didn't have resources out of those areas, right? So now they, want to, they send them out to communities. I always talked about not having enough transportation. How do people get to work? Well, now we want to shift and reverse that because the sea levels are rising. And people are getting ready for that. And they're going to develop where now those who don't have resources are. And they're going to be moved not further inland, but to the places where danger is more imminent and pressing. And we've got to think about those things. Oh, I feel pressed if y'all don't to think about it, and to not just pray about it, but to come up with a plan of action, that we participate in the healing. We participate in calling people out, including ourselves, and not get so broken because somebody dared to love us enough to tell us about our happy selves. It's okay when it's done in love. It's okay when we position ourselves in a way that allows us to have a firm enough foundation of self-esteem that even when people come to us the wrong way, we still hold up and listen to what people say and redirect the conversation that says, please don't talk to me like that, but I want to hear what you got to say. Because we have to. None of us are perfect. We say that, but then we get, we're not resilient to deal with the stuff. 
And so we need, I don't want you to get a hard exterior. I don't want a hard exterior. I tell people all the time, you may tell me about myself and I may cry. Do not let the tears stop you from talking because the tears will pass. I'm soft hearted, you know? I hate hurting people. And so when somebody tells me I've hurt them, I feel it. And you're gonna get tears. But you gotta say what you gotta say. Be kind, be loving, but say it, you know? So it's made me ask how can we, how should we as a community position ourselves for the internal and external witness needed that engenders a sense of belonging for us here, for those out there. I love the word witness. Some people can say it's a churchy word, and I guess it is, but I love it because it's, it's like a coin to me. One word, but it's got two sides to it that, that depend upon each other to have meaning. One is to observe the action or an event, and the other is giving testimony to what you observed. So I'm a witness, I witness the event, and then I'm a witness telling you what happened to the event. And we need to be the, that, that witness in the earth that I witness the events of what's going on in each other's lives that make Jesus real, that incarnate him, that gives him flesh through the body, through the people of God. And I share that witness because people need to hear you and I speak prophetically and they also need to know that there's hope. I need to know there's hope. When I'm looking out at the world that my children and potential grandchildren will inherit, I need to know there's hope. I need to know there's hope in 2020 when I know there's an election coming. And I want to jump off Facebook now because it's going to get uglier than it's been with friends. And I need, I need courage that comes in community to help me speak the things that need to be said. How about you? I told you I worked that back in. So I'm thinking a lot. I said all that and I haven't gotten to the body of my sermon yet. <laughs> but I'm gonna preach one sermon Amen? So I started listening as well. Oops. As well as thinking and praying. And asking in the course of that, where do I begin in listening for the answer to that? Because in addition to hearing the need for or the desire for belonging, I also hear that there is a need for being refreshed, right? We have relationships that demand our attention. We have children that demand our attention. We have parents, in some cases, that demand our attention. We have recovery from illness that demands our attention. We have losses that demand our attention. And so it feels like we don't have enough time that's a whole long list of stuff that, that I laid out to address, right? And that is just the little bit that's in my head. And I don't even know if we add everything that comes from all of you, it would be like an awesome lift. And how do we, how do we manage to address these issues? Because it's just us. 
And sometimes it feels like it's just me, and I know it feels that way for you too, right? And so as I prayed, what I heard from God or the impression I got from God were just these words, without me, you can do nothing. And it was echoed last weekend through one of the testimonies that was given. Without me, you can do nothing. It's found in John 15, the second part of John 15, 5. And so I looked at my sermon and I've been looking at the calendar and how I want to preach because I'm still new at this. And wanted to talk about the epiphany because it is that Sunday. And so I wanted to connect this all. Let's see how good a job I did this. Um, so let's talk for a minute about epiphany. Both the Eastern and Western church, Eastern here, Western over there, talk about epiphany, right? In the Western church, the epiphany is, in the Eastern church, the epiphany focuses on the magi or the wise people that came to find Jesus. So we all know, or maybe we don't know, that they came a couple of years later after his birth. It wasn't immediately following the Lord's birth. And so they went to Herod. They asked him, where is he? The Western church focuses on the epiphany from the perspective of the baptism of Jesus. The purpose of both celebrations, though, is that the revealing of Jesus to the world the Magi came from faraway lands, as we sing today, but they came as Gentiles coming. Who is this? Where is this person who was born king of the Jews? And Jesus is being, raised, uh, being baptized and coming up. We have the image of the dove that descended upon him. And we have the announcement that this is my son, in whom my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Wise men were seeking, where is he? And they received an answer to that question with Herod's help. Go to Bethlehem. That's where you'll find him. And in the story of the baptism, we gain a deeper answer. For the people expected a human Messiah, and they got that. But what God declared was this, this is my son, which was an announcement that the Messiah himself was God coming into the earth. The epiphany, again, is the proclamation to the world that the Jewish Messiah is here and he is a gift to the world. And it alludes to how his giftedness will work in the world. And so I want to focus on the Western and talk about, not directly about the baptism, but I want to talk about the River Jordan. Because water features prominently um, in scripture, especially the River Jordan. We hear about it in Genesis 13, that there was a valley, the fertile land uh, in the Jordan Valley. Joshua and Israel crossed the Jordan after the Ark of the Covenant went in with the priests and the water separated so the people could walk across. The Valley of the Jordan produced huge fruit before they went across the Jordan. Uh, Naaman was told to dip seven times in the Jordan to get healed. And John baptized many people and then baptized Jesus. And so 
the Jordan features prominently in his baptism. I want to share a little bit about um, my perspective on the Jordan. Um, and I was a little bit nervous about sharing this uh, and sharing a story about how I spend time with Jesus um, because sometimes when you share stuff about your relationship with Jesus, you think people are going to think you're crazy. <laughs> right? And I already told you I was a little crazy, so I'm on safe ground. Um, but it, it tends to make us not want to share as much about that, those intimate moments with the Lord. And I don't want to be like that. I need to be first, too, especially if I'm the pastor. So I always approach the Lord with, with, with my questions. I've told you that. Childlike faith. I ask the Lord a question. Um, he gives me an answer. And so I was home one day. Um, and I was doing what I do. Uh, for those mothers with young children, uh, fathers, parents with young kids, here's the deal. How do you spend time with all these people and still have time for yourself, right? (laughs) (laughs) And even those who don't have kids because the demands of jobs and trying to, you know, pull things together so you can buy a house and you can do this and do that. It's so much that goes on. How do you manage your time? And so for me, I really wanted to spend time with the Lord. And so what I learned to do was to grab them when I could. So, like, I was either, I'd be doing the dishes. And Robbie can tell you, I took one of the doors when we lived in Boston and put a chalkboard on it. And I wrote out things that I heard the Lord say to me. I write out scriptures and meditate on different verses. Right? I know. I know. I'm a nerd. Anyway. Um, but also when I was vacuuming, and I want to share this with you because people would say it's not appropriate, but I know when you have to get time, and as a young mother myself, I was just, I was exhausted, and I just needed to be able to talk to God by myself with nobody looking at me, and there's only one place you can go, (laughs) right? So you got to make use of that time. And I still have to make use of that time. We coming out in a minute. But on this occasion, I was vacuuming the floor. And I had just seen something on TV. And and I sat and watched the whole thing. And then I got up. And so it was in my mind, but I wasn't really conscious of it. And, you know, it's like I was vacuuming and start talking to Jesus. And I was like, Jordan River, Jordan River, Jordan River. And there had been this thing on TV about how the Jordan River had overflowed and was in flood. And it constantly been in flood. And so my head, trying to spend time with God, I'm like, okay, so I'm told nothing is wasted, God, and that you do everything with purpose. So why does the Jordan River feature so prominently in Scripture was the question I posed. Um, And so I just kept vacuuming because I had to get the vacuuming done. And I didn't know if he would necessarily answer the question today or that day, but I, I did. And so as I was vacuuming, images came to my, my mind, and I tried to pay attention to them. I had the image of the high places, and rivers start, start in high places and move down. Um, they, they, they develop from rain that goes into the ground waters. And if you've ever seen a bubbling spring, it's a beautiful thing to be up in the mountains and see it, have a cool river spring. And you can see where it actually originated. I've done that a couple of times in my life. I love it. 
but you got to hike too far to get to it. Um, also, what was in my, came to mind uh, were that mineral deposits slid down as the water ran down the mountain, and those minerals fertilized the surrounding area. Um, I paused there and remembered that the news was also discussing this issue of flooding and how often the Jordan River flooded. Um, so I started thinking about that. And there are times when a riverbed can't contain the flow of the water that's coming from the high places. And so the river exceeds its borders and its boundaries. And I stopped and paused and thought, my God, the whole earth does reveal God's glory. Redundancy upon redundancy in nature itself. And I said that because of this. When you look at the Jordan River and you compare it to the life of Christ, who said you could do that? But who said you couldn't, right? <laughs> so when I look at the life of Jesus and I compare it to the Jordan River, I see this. Jesus came from a high place, right, that was rich in mineral deposits, right? And as Jesus entered into the world and gave his life to us in relationship and conversation and sermon and meals, it flowed down to the valley, to the least, to the me's of the world. And then Jesus got to this point where he couldn't be contained in his boundaries and his borders had to expand themselves. And so there had to be a flood. And there came a point when he died and rose again that you and I could be the flood of his life. We are Jesus, the incarnate in the earth now. Amen? And that rich mineral deposit within us you know, when they crossed the Jordan, they sent spies first, right? And what, what happened? They came back with these huge fruits, you know, that they had to, like, carry between two people because the ground was so fertile. That was the impact it had. It came from a barren place in, the, in our high mountains for our start. But when God finished bringing that rich deposit into the earth, down the mountain in the valley. Valleys are green, aren't they? And so are you and I. We've been well fertilized through that pouring of Christ in our lives, right? And so there's some lessons that I take from that. Now, how do I connect everything I said about all the concerns I had and coming up with the word just one. And the story about the, the Jordan River, which was rich, and I could end there, right? But I'm not. Y'all know me better than that. Um, how do I connect? How do I connect them, and what is important about this? You see, we all have this sense of a, a need to belong and belong in this space, right? We have that desire for belonging, for connection with one another and a desire for connection in community. But that scripture that came to mind was first this, that you and I can do nothing without Jesus. I grew up in a time where, um, in my young adult years, the big thing was having your quiet time, right? And everybody dictated how you were supposed to have that quiet time. Couldn't have it at night, had to have it in the morning, right? 
and it had to, you could use a bunch of methods. You could pray like the, the Lord's Prayer. You could follow that adoration. You know, and they gave you a little acronym, and you did all that stuff, right? But when I grew up, meaning, because, you know, when you first get married, you're just, you know, two single people that, you know, it's legal. But then life stuff starts happening. You make commitments to homes and family, and you start making plans, and it brings you closer and closer together, right? And then kids happen, and whoo! At least that's mine. Yeah, I, I don't know if y'all felt that way. But I grew up, and I, I realized that doesn't work. It does not work. And so I needed the freedom to come up with another way. And so did Jesus. You see, people would go to their temple. They would go sit in groups in the synagogues. They would go sit in the marketplace and have these conversations about God, right, with one another. But Jesus did something different. Jesus went off early in the morning because that was his time. Doesn't have to be my time. That was his time. And he went off and prayed and had some time with God. I don't want to be militant to you all and say you got to do this and you got to do it this way, this way, and this way. I don't care how you do it, but I'm going to tell you, you'll shrink up and shrivel up if you don't get back in that river. And we got to figure out how we get in that river for the rich deposit. Because we were never supposed to, we were never intended to live the life from, this is what I think I should do. This is me figuring it out. This is me being exhausted. This is me being tired. I don't even feel like going to church. People are getting on my nerves. We were never supposed to live life out of that. But it's true that people get on my nerves. It's true that I'm tired. These things are true. So how do we get the energy, the motivation? What inspires us? Because I think we've become a people that have dwindling hope and little inspiration, which means we have to get to know who Jesus is again. There are things we've forgotten. Even thinking about this sermon and thinking over the last few days, month, this month, I come to realize that I've forgotten him. And even my ritual has become stale. And I need fresh watering. Because we can't tackle all these things without him. And we really need to know that he's involved in the mundane things of life. He went to people's houses and had dinner. He saw, uh, what's that guy? Whoever it was that climbed a tree. Think. He climbed a tree. And he went home with them. But people would say, don't bring this stuff to Jesus. There's some things you're supposed to handle for yourself. Well, I didn't know how to handle having two little ones. And I needed some help. The times when Robbie and I would argue so much we couldn't handle bills. We needed some help. There are times we had to split up and do counseling separately and then do counseling together. Needed some help. And, but it starts with the relationship that we have with Jesus. Because you cannot live unto yourself. We were supposed to be just like him. And out of the overflow, we water the earth. Out of the overflow. But when I think I don't have any, it makes me start putting up barriers and walls. It makes me say I don't have time for this now, time for that. It makes me sleep a little bit more. It makes me bemoan the sleep I'm not getting when, when I was a little bit younger. Not a lot, but a little bit younger. I could party for a long time and get up and go to work. <laughs> but I got these kids, and I'm not getting any sleep. But I had my boys and my girls, and I didn't care about sleep. 
it's real. I'm not trying to belittle it, but I'm saying there's a resiliency in us that we have to go for. Because we've all, many of us have been there. I had kids. And I was in church, and I was in the community, and I had meetings I had to go to, and we did it, and he and I figured it out. And then it was like, boy, we, uh, I look at him and go, you need to get out of here. <laughs> you know, and maybe even find a group for him to go to and do it on his own. Because that's just where we were. Now I go because I like it, because I'm an introvert. And sometimes I don't want to be talking to him sitting next to me. Well, what do you think about that? I don't want to talk to you about what I think about that right now. And it's okay, but figuring out the way to live and being there for one another so, so you can have your time. See, I found one of the greatest things is when I could get Micah to go to sleep and he was out, the house was quiet. I had my time, but I snatched it when I could. So we've got to snatch our time with God. Some of us, the Bible is boring now. We've read it, listened to sermons. I'm like, you are not the same person today that you were last year, five years ago, 10 years ago. And God wants to give you and me a reintroduction to scripture. Because it doesn't often mean what we think traditionally stuff means. Some of us have taken some stances about some things that are controversial, but we can't back it up in scripture. But then we get like, well, I got to buy books and I don't know what to do. Ask Jesus. I'm telling you, it's that simple. And somebody will come up to you and say, you know, I was reading this book about such and such and such. And you'd be like, that's the book I was, okay. Ask him. Because it all starts with an invitation to our lives. I don't necessarily preach deep stuff because we've been taught so much. But has it come off the page and become living, living witness? Do you dare to believe the word and go, Lord, you know, I open up scripture and go, I've never seen that. Or I say, you know, the scripture says, I've never seen the righteous begging bread. I've seen some righteous people begging bread. So I have to ask God, what's up with that? What is going on? And the answer, when I asked him, I got, I didn't like. Because one of the answers was, because you're not giving. It's like, oh, Lord. Because we were ready to tell people, you have not because you ask not. But the Lord told us to be generous in our giving. We can meet people before they even ask us. Amen? So. The other thing that's critical, and I'm going to sit down, is this. We have to let Jesus be human and meet us. He is the man Christ, according to, what is that, 1 Timothy 2.5. He is the man, for there is one God and one intercessor who can, who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ. He is forever a human being. We want to think about Jesus when he was in the earth like he was super, super something, that because he was God, he called on all his supernatural power, and he didn't. He wasn't permitted to. He called on the power he had as a human being in the earth. And when we let Jesus be Jesus, we will start being like Jesus. 
When we let Jesus be human we'll, and read the scripture as a human being doing these incredible things and believing these incredible things, we'll start really believing that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit in partnership with us, will do many of those things, other things, wonderful things, where incredible things. I never thought I would get up in front of people and speak. I was too quiet, too shy. Now I can't shut up. <laughs> He's real. And he still lives as the man Christ. He is the Messiah who is God's son who operates through faith. This is a message that we have for the world because everybody thinks he was, he was a man. He's special. I'm not, trying to, I'm not taking away his deity. But this is Jesus. And this is who you and I are. So as we take on this the next year, I want us to focus on overflow. How do we live in a way that allows God, um, that allows God to speak to us and allows us to rest in overflow? When a flood comes, you can't stop it, right? It happens. You can't do anything about that water. People put down sand. They put down all kinds of stuff. That water's coming. So if we fill up inside, we'll be able to act in ways that we don't think we can today. This is a life that we will give to overflow. And in the course of the next month, I'm going to focus on that. But everything will have to do with how we can live in that way and serve one another and serve God. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your truth. I invite the worship team up. Thank you for, Lord, planting seeds in our head about what it means to believe you, the man Christ, lived in this earth and performed miracles and followed God and that you want to help us do the same as human beings. Help us, Lord, to find, scrape together, hear you when you call us and just whisper stuff to us. Time, help us find time to spend with you, to love you, to worship you. We need you. You've decided to need us. We are the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen.